kind of smashed them. That's what we came here for. Happy New Year to all of you. Glad to be back with you. I was away for a little bit, but it's always great to come back with family and jump back in. New Year 2018, and like you, you know, there's a little bit of trepidation starting something new, but it's always good to fresh start, kind of clean slate. I'm not one of those resolutions people, so I just keep eating and try to work out more. I don't know. Maybe you're with me or you're thinking, shut up, please don't feed my craziness. But, you know, fresh start, that's a, that's a good thing. And I think when we look out into 2018, there's a lot of reason to be optimistic. I, mean, I think if we try to think through different things that are happening, we can go, okay, there's going to be moments that we're going to be successful. Sure, there's going to be moments we're going to experience God's blessing. There's going to be moments of laughter. We'll have some enjoyment. There'll be some time off. There'll be some good moments. But I think we're also realists to be able to get up and say, you know what? There's also going to be some hard times in 2018. Right? I mean, we, we can't deny that reality. And you're like, I came to be inspired to church, and you're going to tell me 2018 is going to be really hard. Yep. It's going to be really hard. Like 2018, there's going to be difficulty, heartache, pain. It, it's not going to be easy. So you're going to have these joys, these moments of laughter, success, goodness, and there's going to be heartache and hardship and difficulty. It, it's a part of life. It's all this mixed bag that's going to take place. If someone could tell you in advance what was going to happen, would you want to hear them? Uh, especially the, the ne- like you'd want to hear the good stuff, like, oh, I'm going to get a new job. Oh, I'm going to meet a person. Oh, uh, you know, things are going to go really well, and I'm going to win the lottery. You would love to hear that. But what about if somebody was like, well, this year uh, you're going to lose your job. Th- this year you're going to lose a loved one. This year you're going to face a crisis, an accident. This year, someone you love is going to betray you. Someone's going to slander you. Someone's going to mistreat you. Do you want to know that in advance? I think most of us would go, well, I wouldn't mind knowing it for the people around me, but I don't want to know it for me. I don't really want to know because if I knew that, I probably would not get out of bed. I probably would be anxious, I probably would be paranoid, I probably would be paralyzed in fear. So today you've gathered here, and maybe you don't know this, but you're in church, that's what we're doing here, you're at church, and I think for the most part, people that are here are either curious about who Jesus is, or you know who Jesus is. You're either seeking to know him, or you're curious about getting to know what this religion, God, Jesus, Christianity thing is, or you're here because you already know Jesus and you want to grow, you want to expand your relationship. As people that are here to understand and grow in Jesus, we count on the promises of God, promises that Jesus makes in the Bible. 
So we take the Bible seriously, and the Bible has all kinds of promises, and Jesus has come to forgive us. That's a promise. Jesus has come to bring blessing and peace and joy. Jesus promises to make your life count for something. There's going to be opportunities and ways he uses you. He promises that he will never leave you or forsake you. We count on, when we look out into 2018, we count on, as Christ followers, the promises of God. But one of the promises of God that we quickly look over, the promise that Jesus made before he died, we, we kind of want to forget. But he says, in this world, you will have trouble. And that's a promise that's just as secure as all the other promises he makes. You're like, this isn't very inspiring. I don't really want to hear this. But this is real. This is Jesus saying, not you might have trouble, not you may have trouble, you will. God in flesh says to his disciples, you will have trouble. So that's why I can get up in front of you and say, in 2018, guess what? If you're following Jesus, curious about Jesus, you're going to have trouble. Our Savior said it, and since he said it, ever since then, it's been true of every Christ follower. Unfortunately, people won't talk about this because we like the comfort part of God. We like the nice part of God, the blessing part of God, the part of God that says, I'm going to make you happy, I'm going to make you wealthy. I'm going to... We like those parts of God. We, we don't want to hear him saying, hey, FYI, life is going to be really hard for you. It's going to be difficult for you. You're going to be stressed. There's going to be anxiety. There's going to be persecution. People may slander you. There's going to be dark, difficult days as a follower of Jesus Christ. And it's why we're starting this year, because we don't like to talk about this stuff, but we need to talk about it. We're starting this year in a series called Fight to the Finish. And, you know, we just show you these inspirational clips of people winning victories and the yeah, celebration. What you don't see, you see the finish and the celebration, but what you don't see in any of those video clips is the fight that takes to get to that victory. The fight that every one of those athletes has to fight against their, their pride, fight against their appetites, fight against their time. I have to go to the gym again. I've got to practice again. I've got to take another slap shot again. I've got to do it again and again. And the cost to get to those victorious, glorious moments. We want to fast forward through the cost and just get to the party. But the Bible is real. It, it brings you through this journey. So to deny that there is a fight is to deny reality and more than that. To deny that there is a fight is to miss seeing the God of the universe work in the midst of the fight. To miss how he said it would happen, and how he's going to be faithful to you in it. And watch his provision, his help, his peace come to you in ways that could never happen if you just jumped on an elevator and went to heaven. But you're here, and why are you here? It's going to be a fight. There's going to be difficulties. There's going to be great days. There's going to be hard days. And God is going to show up in your life in incredible ways in the midst of the fight. So, so we're jumping back into 1 Peter. We started the series in the fall. We, we got up to chapter 3. We're going to keep going and into 2 Peter. So if you have your Bibles, 1 Peter chapter 2. And 1 Peter's found towards the end of your Bible. So if you go all the way to the back and turn a couple pages forward, you'll find 1 Peter. It's a small letter. If you have an electronic device, we'd love you to use that. You can download our app 
on one inferior store on the internet and one superior store. You can pick depending on which device you have. You can decide, but there's, you can get an app that you, you can use that you can take notes and read along, and I drop some extra stuff in the Faith Church app. Also, you could just download the Version Bible, I think is a great one. We use the New International Translation of the Bible, the NIV, and it's just helpful to follow along as we work our way through this. So Peter is the author of a letter. He wrote this to Christ followers, people who are following Jesus. And what's great about Peter writing is he was a first-hand witness, an eyewitness to everything that Jesus did. He was front and center to, to watch him walk on water and to watch him face uh, persecution, watch him teach, hear him teach. Peter was there when Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. He was present for that and then watched Jesus get cruelly killed and watched him place in a tomb dead and watched him come out alive and watched him ascend to heaven. So front row seat, he writes this letter and he specifically writes it to Christ followers for God's children to be confident and courageous. He writes this letter, that's the purpose of the letter, that we can be confident and courageous, not in a generic way, but in the face of suffering. He knows that we're going to go through suffering. He was an eyewitness. He experienced Jesus firsthand. And so he wants to give us encouragement and confidence as we go through this. So I'm having you go to 1 Peter 2, verses 11 through 12, because I think it summarizes everything we learned up till now, and then we'll jump into some new content in, verse, in chapter 3. So 1 Peter 2, verse 11 says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Now remember, he's talking to Christians, people who have put their hope in Jesus, said, Jesus, forgive me, change me, come in, you're welcome here. And he says, when you do that, you're now adopted into the family of God. You have a different family, a different set of allegiances, a different loyalty, a different kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. And, and so because of that, he's saying, hey, you're a different person. You're called to be holy. And throughout the letter, he'll drop that word holy, which doesn't mean super spiritual, doesn't mean pious, doesn't mean judgmental. It means you're holy, fully devoted to God. In light of the fact that you rescued me, saved me. I am now wholly yours, fully devoted to you. And that starts to change my attitude, and it starts to change my actions. He says, as foreigners and strangers, you're different. And he goes on to describe how we're different in a magnetic way in verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans, among those who don't believe, though they may accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. You see, we're not supposed to be awkward children of God, dysfunctional, weird, wacky, super pious, religious children of God. We're supposed to do such good in this world with our acts of love and mercy and kindness and justice that people would see that. Those who don't believe would watch and see that we're different, unique, magnetic, and be drawn to our Father. That's the purpose of following Jesus. It's what he wants to do in our lives. Now skip down to chapter 3. And this is where we'll get into some new stuff. So he's calling us to be holy magnetic. We're different, but not weird different, good different, good, merciful, kind, loving different. And we're going to face hardship. Now look what he says in chapter 3, verse 8. He says, finally, in light of the fact that you're sons and daughters of the king and you're to live a different kind of life, a magnetic light, it's going to be difficult, finally, all of you, 
be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate, be humble. He uses a bunch of words to describe the community that we experience together, that we're to be like-minded, unified, that we're to be compassionate, care about the fact that we go through difficulty, that we're to be sympathetic and enter into each other's suffering, that we're to be loving, we're to be humble in this crazy, divided, crazy, competitive, crazy, difficult world. He's saying, when life is hard for you, child of God, be fully invested in the family of God. Be fully invested in the family of God because among the family of God, here's how we're to interact. We're to be compassionate with one another, like-minded with one another, sympathetic with one another. We're to be patient with one another. We're to be humble with one another. And he's saying that's how you're going to navigate the difficulties of this life because when you go through difficulties alone, how hard is that? I mean, difficulty is difficulty, but when you're all alone in difficulty, there's nothing worse. He's saying, that's not my design for my family. You're going to go through hardship. Now be fully invested in the family of God, which means know people and let people know you. Be connected to people. Be fully invested means emotionally, spiritually, uh, just financially, in every possible way, be connected to each other, and that's how God is going to help you get through difficulty because hardship is going to come. You can either do it connected with God's family or disconnected from his family, and disconnected from his family leaves you disconnected from a number of resources, countless resources he wants to leverage for you. But connected to his family, there's a whole host of things that are available to you, and it's why we do all kinds of events and small groups and why we do men's retreats and women's retreats and why we serve together and why we just do small groups life together so that people of diverse backgrounds. Man, you're in a crowd of people here each week. Maybe nobody knows you, but someone should know you. So how does that happen? You get engaged with a group of people. And there are small groups meeting all across the Lehigh Valley, different people, different backgrounds who get together. And what do they do when they get together in a small group? They laugh together, they watch the eagles together, they eat together, they talk together, they share wisdom together, they learn together, they pray together, and when you go through difficulty and life goes bad for you, they come alongside you, they pray for you, they visit you, they cry with you, they laugh with you. Are you connected to anybody? You're a part of the family of God, you're a son or daughter of the king, but you're disconnected from the family of God when life goes sideways. What happens to you? But when you're fully invested in the family of God, there's resources from God available to you. Peter goes on to talk about another type of difficulty Christians will face. He says in verse 9, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. Just be aware, he's saying as a Christian, you will face evil. You will face insults. Do not repay evil with evil or insult to insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. And I, I don't really like what Peter has to say here. Well, you're, you're saying to me that when someone curses me, slanders me, gossips about me, I'm not to retaliate? I'm supposed to turn the other cheek? I'm supposed to say nothing? 
wait, 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 Peter, I, I don't really like that. That's not who I am. That's not how I roll. I'm from Jersey. I mean, you just don't do that. And he explains why in verse 10. And these words are so beautiful. He, he, he connects it to a psalm, Psalm 34, and he explains why. It's such profound wisdom. He says, whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. And then he gives the reason why. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. When someone slanders me, someone gossips about me, someone posts something online about me that's not true, and someone sends me an email ripping apart what I do and impugning my motives, what's my natural Jersey reaction? What's your natural reaction? Oh, here it comes. Like, I'm going to rip you, right? I mean, I'm going to defend myself because if I don't defend myself, who will? Right? Who will? And what the God of the universe is saying, he's going, nah, Joe, that's not how it goes in my kingdom. That's not how things play in my family. I'm inviting you to something so much more, so much more, that my design for you is that you're a citizen of heaven. My design for you is that you are a son, a daughter of the living God. My design for you is rather than you trying to defend yourself, protect yourself, to do it by yourself, I've got you. And that, that doesn't mean that we just let violence happen to us. It doesn't mean we just let, let someone abuse us or mistreat us. No, we get safe. We call police. Christians call the police and get safe. That's not what he's saying. But if someone comes at your reputation, slanders your character, maligns you, gossips about you, persecutes you, says things about you, you have a God who is alive on your side. And the, the psalm says, his eyes are open to you, his ears are open to you. His hands are available. So when life gets hard, trust God is alert to your needs and stop trying to be God because you're above your pay grade. You're trying to defend, trying to protect, trying to preserve your reputation. And he's saying to them, life is going to get hard. It's going to be incredibly hard. Rather than repaying evil for evil, slander for slander, will you trust me that I've got this. I see it all. I'm awake. I'm alive. I'm available to you. I've got you. He continues in verse 15, but in your hearts, when you face hardship, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it's God's will, to suffer for doing good 
than for doing evil. Repaying evil for evil won't work. It doesn't solve the problem. Instead, he uses another set of words that's divine wisdom. In verse 15, he says, revere Christ as your Lord. Revere. I mean, that's a word that's like worship, honor. Set apart Christ as your Lord. Now, for me, I I can worship Jesus as my Savior. I'm excited that you've taken away my sins, that you forgive me, that you give me peace, that you absorb the wrath of God that I deserve. That's exciting to me. That's worth worshiping. When you comfort me, Jesus, I worship you. When you bless me and give me peace, I worship you, Jesus. But that's not what he's saying is going to get you out of a hard time. He's saying, when you face hardship, obey Jesus. When he says revere Jesus as Lord, he's saying Jesus isn't your best buddy. He's the king. He's master. He's commander. Yes, he comforts. Yes, he saves. Yes, he rescues. Yes, he teaches. Yes, he guides. He does all of this. But don't get this wrong. He is the sovereign king over everything. So when you face difficulty, obey him. How are you going to get out of that difficulty? Well, I'll let my feelings guide me. I'll let what the culture says guide me. I'll let what my friends tell me guide me. No, he's saying, you want to get out of the mess, the hardship, the difficulty, the persecution, the suffering that you're in? Obey Jesus as king. So when someone insults you or slanders you and it feels good to repay evil for evil, he's saying, no, Joe, that's not what you're to do. Obey me, bless them, and don't curse them. I've got your back. He says, I'm your Lord. Be ready to give a reason when you don't act like everybody else, when you don't slander when everyone else is slandering, when others are gossiping or beating you up, when you don't respond the way everybody else responds, be ready to give a reason for that hope of why you act that way, because that reason will present itself, and with gentleness and respect, tell people about Jesus. When he's your Lord, you can obey me, he says, and you'll have a clear conscience. I mean, think about that with a clear conscience. Don't you want a clear conscience? I mean, what's the opposite of a clear conscience? A murky conscience? A muddy conscience? conscience, A dirty conscience? Do you want that? He's saying, no, you're going to go through hardship. Trust me, follow me, obey me, and you will have a clear conscience. You'll be at peace. You'll be able to sleep at night, even while things are going wrong around you. When Jesus is your Lord and you obey him, you're going to suffer one way or the other, but when you suffer for doing good, he says it's better, and I trust when we obey him, follow him, we're going to go through difficulties, but he says it's better to go through that suffering with God than without God. He invites us into this, and you might, you might be asking the questions, now why? Why would I do this? Why should I trust God? Why should I obey God when life gets hard? Why should I follow God? Verses 18 through 22 give a very complex, theologically difficult answer to that question. And as a pastor, when I read verse 18 through 22, I'm confused. It's craziness. And when I look for advice among theologians, if I asked five pastors to explain to me verse 18 through 22, I'd get five different answers. So we're not going to talk about it today. Isn't that fun? 
I put in your app, I put in your app some notes that you can research and look at. It's really complex, and there's times in the Bible that we can just go, what is that? That's hard. But Holy Spirit, lean into it, and there's notes in your app that you could click on and start to read more and learn more about 1 Peter because you don't need me to teach you. I'm not the greatest teacher, but I can help and guide you, and I would encourage you, read, lean into it. I have, you can. But I just want to point out the bookends of this section. So verse 18 and verse 22, everything in between is really complex, but the bookend, the beginning, verse 18, and verse 22 make it super clear what he's trying to convey. Look at verse 18. He says, this is so simple, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. I mean, there's nothing more clear in the scriptures about what Jesus has done for the world, that Jesus suffered not because of anything he did wrong, not because he was unrighteous. He suffered death for rebels like you and me. He absorbed the wrath of God. He suffered mistreatment and a cruel death for you and me. The righteous one died so that the unrighteous can live. And, and you look at what he did. He suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. What's his desire? That you would go to God, come to God, have access to God. He's done this for us. And when we believe on him in faith, we have access to God. That's incredible. But there's also another piece that's incredible there, that everything that Peter is asking us to do in this letter, Jesus has already done. This, this blows me away, that our God would know us so well that he's not going to shout commands down from heaven and say, do this, do that, do this, do that. Instead, he's going to model for us how to live. So Jesus, when he walked on earth for 33 years, experienced a hard life. He went through hard days. He was falsely accused. The King of kings and the Lord of lords was spit on. Saliva hit his face. Evil, unjust people whipped him and nailed him to a cross. He could have called 10,000 angels and didn't. That's what he's asking of you and me, that you would trust God so much that whatever befalls you, Jesus has modeled it. He's shown us what to do. When he faced injustice and difficulty, he was surrounded by a community of people that helped him. He entrusted himself to God. He knew that God has ears open to him. He followed, trusted, obeyed, and didn't defend himself. So when he asks you as a follower of Jesus to do the same, he gets it. He knows it. He understands what he's asking of you. And he's saying, I can help you do this. And he rose again from the dead. Now look at the other end of the books. It says, verse 22, it says, this is what Jesus is <clears throat> do, excuse me, doing now. Did you ever wonder what he's doing right now? What's Jesus doing right now? Is he going to watch saints this afternoon? Has he got his feet up playing Xbox? Here's what he's doing. Jesus has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God. Where is Jesus right now? He's at the right hand of God. Is he alone? No, he's with God. And it says he's with angels, authorities, and powers. He's with God, and he's hanging out with 
all the angels, all the powers and authorities, and they're just hanging out, eating wings, playing together? No, look at what it says. All of these powers and authorities are in submission to him. Jesus is the king. He's the boss. He's the head honcho, and everything is in submission to him. Why is that important? Because when life is hard, we can be reminded that Jesus died. He loves us so much. He modeled for us everything we need. And right now, he is in ultimate control. Nothing is slipping through his hands. Nothing is surprising him. Nothing is, oh my goodness, I can't believe that it happened to him or her. No. He is active and in control of all things. Everything goes through his hands. And for this season, this is hard for us to comprehend, he is allowing this world to go on. He could come and end it and make everything right right now. He could do that. But chooses instead to shout to the world, I'm here, I love you, I want you. And he's patient with people, wanting people to come to know him. So while we wait for him to return, he's not asleep. He's interceding for us. He's advocating for us. He's alive and awake to what we need. And that's why there's promises in the Bible that says, if God is for you, who could be against you? What can separate you from his love? He is victorious. He is waiting, watching, active, available, interceding, advocating for us. So what does this mean practically? Here's where we're, we're going to end. You know, you're going to face hardship in 2018. True or false? You decide. Is it true or false? You can face the hardships with your intellect, with your money, with your family, with your job, with your abilities, your resources, and when you get to the end of yourself, what then? When you face hardship, you have a choice to face hardship with God or without God. It's a choice you make. I'll face this hardship. It's going to be hard. Will I do it with God? or without God, because Jesus' promise to his disciples is very simply this. In this world, you will have trouble. We started that way, but take heart, he says. I have overcome the world. You see that promise? Look at it. It's going to be hard. Use your own resources. Do your own thing. Follow your own path. Have fun. Do it your way. And at the end of that, what then? See, I can have courage. I can have confidence today that Jesus came, lived, died, rose again, and he overcame the world, and he is going to return and make all things right so I can navigate the difficulties with him or without him. I can trust him. I can obey him. I can talk to him, or I can do it my own way. You decide. So I'm going to keep talking about this a little bit more next week about the topic I would invite you um, next week, just throwing it out there, it's kind of last minute, but as a staff we decided, really felt like the need as a family to get together and praise God and pray to God. So on January 23rd, Tuesday night, it's next week, quick, we're going to get together and just worship God together and pray to God and ask for His blessing and help throughout 2018. So if you want to lean into 2018 with us, with the family of God, I'd invite you to consider that. Be a part of, let's worship and praise him together and pray to him and ask for his favor. His ears are open to us. Let's pray. Difficulty is reality. Life is hard. 
Stress is real. Anxiety. Things are difficult, God, and I'm grateful that you told us that that would happen. That in advance of all the difficulties we face as your children, you told us that life would be hard. But you also came, lived, and died to conquer all the hardship, all the heartache, all the sin, all the injustice, all the pain. So awaken us today that you are sovereign and in control. You never slumber. You never sleep. Awaken us to a need for our family, family of other followers of Jesus that can come alongside us and support us. Awaken us to the need to obey you even when we don't feel like following. Awaken us to the fact that you, Holy Spirit, promised to be with us through the difficulty, awaken us. As we start this new year, help us. We trust you. And if there are those in this place today that don't know you, don't trust you, pray that they would continue to seek you because you say you're not far from any of us and if we seek you with all our hearts, we will find you. So if you are seeking him, keep seeking him. He will show himself faithful to you. I pray all this in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen.